get the cybersecurity people exposed to what really happens in the day-to-day because if they can walk in their shoes, then they can understand where there are security implications and how they can implement cybersecurity that's not so burdensome to that end user. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Sonia Hammond, CISO at National Veterinary Associates, former CISO at Essilor Group, and former security leader at a variety of companies, including HP and others. She's with me today talking about the basics in cybersecurity and how we need to focus on those more than anything. It's a great topic, and we're diving into it. Thank you, Sonia, for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. All right, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your background in cyber and a little bit about your day job? Yeah, so I, well, I've been in technology for 30 plus years, but really focused on security in the last 15. And, uh, you know, I'm currently CISO for veterinary specialty and uh, pet resort provider. We have 1,500 locations in North America, and I run all aspects of cybersecurity. So uh, covering technology risk, you know, security operations, engineering, GRC, et cetera. And with that kind of a presence, I'm imagining there's a lot of uh, point of sale stuff. There's PCI stuff. I Absolutely. guess animals don't qualify for HIPAA, but you got uh, you got some personal information on the the pet owners anyway, don't you? That's right, for sure. Okay, interesting. So interesting set of challenges. I've never thought about being a CISO at a, at a national vet. That's amazing. You guys have so many locations. All right, so let's dive into the topic here. We talked a little bit before the show about getting back to the basics is kind of your, uh, your your main jam right now. So I wanted to hear from you. You know, that's a common theme in a lot of disciplines. People say, we got to get back to the basics. we got to get back to the basics. What does that mean to you in cyber specifically, getting back to the basics? Well, what I'm finding is that you have to get rid of your tech debt and bring your environment to current. You want modern, supportable technology, and that's really key in order to keep it secure. If you're not covering those basic security pieces and enforcing things like difficult passwords, making people change their password routinely, you know, routine patching of uh, desktops and servers, enforcing uh, multi-factor authentication. You know, that's what I call basic security. If you're not doing those things, it's really difficult to secure the environment. Okay, so you're kind of doing a combination there of people, process, and technology. That's and, right. And kind, of, and kind of picking out the basics from all those. So what does it mean to you then to not get back to the basics? Like, where do we get lost? What's the opposite of your get back to the basics vision there? Well, I see a lot of teams that they're implementing some really awesome security tools But for instance, if you don't require multi-factor authentication, you're going to have email compromise. And that's a very simple security risk that, you know, that one account allows threat actors to bypass your first level of security and to get into your environment. And then you're playing cat and mouse. So, you know, when I say not getting back to basics, you know, there are groups that are implementing some security tools that are, they're shiny, they're new, they're lots of fun but they still got those basic security holes, so they get compromised. Right, okay. Okay, so focusing on the, on the whiz-bang, golly-gee stuff at the cost of making sure you've got the basics in place before you do that. So this kind of ties into that notion I've had, and it's come up on the show a couple of times. It's something I sort of co-authored with Gary Hayslip, but this idea of minimum viable security, we call it, where 
you can look at this giant wealth of 30,000 possible toys you could buy, but can't you get away with like a minimum viable set? And I think a lot of what you're saying about the basics sort of ties into that same concept that if you're not shoring up the basic stuff, getting into the tier two, three, four, five maturity level stuff doesn't make any sense at all. There's almost a certain maturity curve to it, right? That's right. So how about getting back to the basics at the expense of the not so basics, right? So so there's a balance to strike there, right? So when we say mm-hmm. like MFA was your, your example, we'll stick with that one because I think it's a great yeah. concrete example. MFA is something you got to get done. That's like a, just a basic, like if you don't have that, ransomware is a problem. Business email compromise is a problem. You know, there's a lot of problems mm-hmm. that arise. And then on the other hand, I'm trying to think of something more sophisticated, like uh, getting a full zero trust sassy, you know, with CASB and DLP capability. Like one of these is a nice to have to me and one of these is a must have to me. Although one could argue that once you've reached a certain point of maturity, the zero trust sassy play would actually be a must have, right? So there's this balance we have to strike on the not so basic versus the basic. I think maybe, I mean, for me, maybe maturity is the key. Where's your take on that? Where do you kind of drill in on that one? Well, I would love to say that it's a balance between, you know, spending on the basics and spending on the more sophisticated tools. But unfortunately, if you have compromise in those basic security aspects, you know, your expensive tools aren't really going to do you a lot of good. So I'm a proponent of saying, make sure you spend first on those non-sexy basic yeah. security items. You've got to plug those simple holes that the lesser sophisticated hacker is going to use before you start putting all the shiny tools in. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Okay. So I'm trying to think of some specific examples just that we could bat them back and forth, like DLP. Do you Mm -hmm. consider that one to be in the basics bucket or is that one a once you get a little more down the road bucket? Yeah, no, that's a down the road bucket for sure. Okay. And CASB would be the same sort of thing, I think. Absolutely. And SASE would be the same sort of thing. But then like basic, I'm going to, I'm going to, don't let me put words in your mouth here, but I'm thinking like turning off split tunneling on VPN would be like, to me, like in the basic basic bucket, right? Okay. I think we're seeing it the same way. I think we're on the same page here. So how about the tech stack then just in general? It's not just the tech stack itself where we can say this is basic, this is not basic, this is early stage, this is later stage, this is early maturity, that's later maturity. We can go through and say all those things. But I think the vendor community would much rather have us focus on the shiny new toys. And I think we ourselves, especially chatting with our fellow CISOs, can get into this like, oh, you got that? Oh, I want that. You know, there's a keeping up with the Joneses Mm -hmm. aspect to it as well, I think. How is the tech stack failing to help us get back to the basics? Like, where can we tackle that pressure and that challenge and say, nope, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Talk to me in three months. Talk to me in six months. Like what's, what's your approach for kind of keeping that stuff at bay without losing touch with it? You know? Yeah. Well, I think the tech stack is failing us in the fact that they're targeting those more sophisticated types of attacks, you know, where you're wanting to utilize DLP, you're wanting to utilize CASB, and they make those, you know, very enticing to those of us that love to play in the security space. But they're not really giving us the tools for, you know, how do we implement basic security in an environment? I mean, why don't we have security in a box, you know, that says, you know, we're going to address all of your password needs and we're going to address uh, a, your old technology needs. There's just those simple things that it's not part of the new tooling and it takes someone who's pretty well versed in IT and understanding the you know hardware and operating system level of things to say here are some of those basic things we need to do in our environment 
I get it. So sometimes I think the vendor community, you just need to keep the entire vendor community on hold. And I found for me personally, I will literally have conversations with vendors where I'll listen to their pitch, you know, their early pitch, not the full, like I'm not going to set up a POC mm-hmm. and all that, but just you get that initial drive by. And I'm intrigued and I say to myself like, oh, this is cool. This is something I could use down the road. And I will literally tell vendors like, you know, I'll pull out my calendar and say nine months from now, I want you to ping me again. <laughs> you know, three months from now, <laughs> yeah. six months from now. Oh, yeah. I've, I've told vendors 14 months from now, I want you to ping me again. And they're always kind of surprised by that because it sounds like a brush off, but I mean it. I'm like within 14 months, I should be at a place where your solution fits my maturity mm-hmm. curve, right? And I, I think that's one way that I tackle that. And the keeping the pressure at bay, it's hard. It's hard for me. I grew up on the technology side of the fence, not the GRC side of the fence. And geeking out and playing with the blinky lights is just intrinsic. It's in my DNA. And so every time someone pitches to me some cool tech solution to a problem I've envisioned, that, that it's like, yeah, I agree. The problem is there. Like once I'm in agreement with the problem statement, I want to go play with the possible solution. Like I, I, I have to. And so I, I find myself really having to crack down on myself to make sure my teams aren't just spending all their time in POCs and playing with cool new toys. And sometimes I think it's a good educational moment for them, even if we don't purchase, but I try not to overdo that, right? Like some, yeah. sometimes bringing in a vendor is a great educational moment. True. So, all right, current GRC approach. If the tech stack is is kind of distracting us and failing us to a large extent and focusing on post-basics, you know, down-the-road maturity kind of problems, what about the GRC camp? You know, let's. some people say that GRC equals basic. They just leave it at that. GRC equals basic. I don't think it's that simple. I think it's as nuanced as the tech stack. I think there's basic GRC you can be doing, and I think there's attractive ideas in GRC that are, again, just like the tech stack is wooing you to, to leave your realm of the basics and go into something further down the road. What What's your take on that with GRC? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I think a lot of companies, a lot of cybersecurity teams, you know, they're running a risk registry and, and chasing those items. They're on their risk registry list, but that really fails in some of the basic security aspects because unless you have someone who's really well versed in the technology, they're not even going to know, you know, what should be in the risk registry. So I, I find that unfortunately our GRC teams seem to be a little less technical and that hurts us in some aspects. Yeah, I had a, a guest on the show a little while back who actually espoused aligning the GRC team with the vulnerability management and patch management effort mm-hmm. and actually making them the governor over those activities. So the whole idea is, is this a priority to patch versus is this other one a priority to patch? Run it by the GRC gang. This forces the GRC team to get more technical. This forces the technical team to work with and cooperate with and and respect the GRC processes. And it keeps that whole, that great divide between the two that's always there in so many Mm -hmm. shops. And I thought that was just a darn clever solution. I'm looking to implement that now myself and actually better integrate tech stack with GRC. So let's ignore even the technology aspects of it. So so GRC folks traditionally aren't as technology savvy, technologically savvy as they could be or should be perhaps in these in these cases. And they are instead policy wonks, people call them, you know, you get all these other kinds of derogatory phrases for what they do. And then to your point, the risk register is to a certain extent a highly technical matter. So ignoring that piece of it, the technology versus not technology aspects of GRC, let's just look at the other aspects of GRC. You've got policy, you've got process, you've got governance. Like, what does it look like to have a good, solid, basic GRC foundation versus, oh, no, they've run a field in there and they're getting distracted and they're, they're off in the weeds and they're not back to the basics. Like, ignoring the technology piece, what do you think is a good, fundamental 
for a G, you know, you hire your first GRC person and say, go work on X. What is X? Yeah. Well, I always look for someone who's got a strong background in a framework. You know, I like the NIST uh, CSF myself, but, you know, picking a framework and, and finding someone that's well versed in that framework and someone that can interpret that framework into the technical uh, controls. Mm-hmm. That really is what will make it more successful because having that person that can bridge that gap from your audit team to your IT team, you know, that person that sits in the middle and says, here's the policy, here's a procedure, here's controls, that goes a long way for building out a good GRC covering the basics type team. I like it. Okay. Okay. Positioned halfway between audit and IT. That's a great way to put it. Like partially technologist, partially audit, aware, being able to bridge the two mindsets, basically. If you've got that, you've got you've got the beginnings of GRC. So that that is all right. I love it. Yeah, and you want your GRC team to also be, you know, like you said, they typically are not that technical. So I make sure that I send them to a very basic uh, networking mm-hmm. class, you know, put them through some desktop support class, uh, Active Directory, you know, get them a little bit of education so at least they know the lingo and they can start thinking about how those tools work. That's, it helps them when they're trying to implement controls. That's really clever. That's good. Let's pause right there and hear a brief word from our sponsor. Howdy, y'all. Asset management for IT and security sure ain't easy, and our networks are fixing to get more complex. But I reckon there's a better way of doing things, and it starts with Axonius. Axonius helps you lasso everything in your environment, devices, users, software, and more, to provide an always up-to-date inventory, uncover gaps, and automate action. You want a free walkthrough of the platform? Head on over to axonius.com get dash a dash tour. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com slash get dash A dash tour. Okay, so there you go. So there's a there's a good bridging that technology gap and, and just get the fundamentals. Get the fundamentals into your brain before you run around GRCing. Understand what these people <laughs> live like. Like, what do they do for a living? That's, you know, and, and I found that to be a valuable approach with pretty much anything in the business world. Like, seriously, like, like if legal is going to be working with privacy a bunch, legal should go learn some privacy stuff. Privacy should get a brief yeah. review of like, what's it like to actually work in legal, right? Like those two departments need to understand one another's MOs and, and basic lingo. I'm not saying all privacy people need to go to law school, right? But, mm-hmm. but you know, to, to have that fundamental and basic understanding, I think is great. So here's the real challenge. Do you have your technology folks take any fundamentals of GRC type training? You know, I don't send them to specific training, but I do have my GRC team hold training courses for them. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, for example, just today, I had my GRC team doing training on payment card industry compliance Mm -hmm. for my SecOps group. Okay. You know, that way they have an understanding of some of the things that we're chasing on the GRC side. It also helps them to understand, you know, why are we saying we need network segmentation? You know, it just helps them understand kind of both sides of the fence. Right. Helps them co-author solutions and get through things together, right? Like if if, if you have that kind of cross-training in place, ideally what happens, I think, is a regulation comes through. The GRC team picks it up and says, hey, we're obligated to do X, sits down with technology partners and says – 
I'm not going to tell you how to do X. Let's work together to jointly figure out how X can be met using what you do on the technology side of the fence, right? And you get that dialogue going and you get that clever interpretation yeah. thing going and you get that you get that that real bridging of the two disciplines in place, which I think so many shops are lacking. So, all right, we've covered technology, we've covered process, and we've we've hinted at people here kind of talking about these training ideas. They get the GRC right. folks trained on the fundamentals of technology, get the technology folks trained on the fundamentals of GRC. What else in the people space are we doing right? What are we not doing right? What does basics look like? What does distraction look like? What does, hey, that's way too far down the maturity road look like? I think, you know, from the basics, I'm really focused on training, and that's not just training for, you know, my cybersecurity team, but also training for our end users. I mean, we all know, you know, that we want to use every method possible to educate our users because they truly are the first line of defense. But then as we've talked about, you know, training the GRC folks and the sec ops folks to understand both sides. And then you also have to just bring in some of the exposure to your user community. People in technology have a hard time putting themselves in the end user's shoes. Mm -hmm. And so I try to encourage that because it brings an understanding of the environment that they otherwise wouldn't have. I have them go out and, you know, visit sites, watch what a person does who's, you know, taking phone calls, who's checking in patients, who's taking the patients into the room and, you know, filling out the basic questionnaires. Mm -hmm. Get the uh, cybersecurity people exposed to what really happens in the day to day, because if they can walk in their shoes, then they can understand, you know, where there are security implications and how they can implement cybersecurity that's not so burdensome to that end user. That's such a key concept for me when you talk about basic, this idea of not being burdensome. What you're saying is there are business processes outside of your team and you are educating your team as to the nature of those business processes. So when they implement some new solution, it is in line with and not against those business processes, right? I mean, that's really that, that's and right. that goes back to that cross training of privacy and legal get to know each other, right? This is security getting to know the entire business. What a fantastic move. I'm, I salute you for doing that. I think that's so, so, so critical. Now, how about training the other folks, like getting the uh, the people that are checking in the patients and taking it back? How much do they learn about security? Is it just the once a year annual kind of training or what do you guys oh, do there? No. <laughs> they get a lot of training and we try to make it uh, not quite so obvious that they're always getting training. I mean, we certainly do the traditional, you know, online CBT type stuff, you know, to check the compliance boxes. But then we try to do some other things like funny videos. We've put together posters that we send out and have put up in the sites. We definitely distribute a lot through email. I wish we had better mechanisms than, than email, but, you know, we use that a lot. Just sending out literally just an email that says, be vigilant. Don't click on an email if you don't know who it's from. You know, yeah. just little simple things just to remind them because, first of all, if you don't keep it short, they're not going to read it. And right. secondly, if they don't realize they're always being trained, you know, it seems to soak in more. They're more open to receiving it. Mm -hmm. This is great stuff. This is great stuff. So training all the way around, education all the way around, wearing each other's shoes all the way around. Mm -hmm. This is critical. 
if you're going to get the foundations in place, right? This is critical. So I, I love this. I love your definition of this. I love how you approach the people aspects of this job. So I'm going to switch gears here and broaden the conversation out a little bit. It's where, you know, we're talking all these things about the basics. What do you wish everybody in cyber who practices in cyber knew? What, what do you, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you've been through this, you've done this a couple of times, you've mastered mm-hmm. the basics, you know how to focus on those and you see all these new folks in the field or maybe somebody who's a first time CISO, people that are struggling, people that are distracted, whatever it might be. What do you, what is, if you could just give that one piece of advice to, hey, here's what you can do to run your program, like sum that up. What is your, what is your go-to wisdom? Yeah, there's two pieces of wisdom that I always share. Um, first is to understand your end user. So go and walk a day in their shoes. Mm-hmm. And the second piece is to realize that your team is your uh, biggest security tool. Mm-hmm. And so you want it to work very well, be a well-oiled machine. And that means you have to focus on the people. Make sure you hire people that work well together, mm-hmm. that can bring synergy and you can teach them the security piece. Ah, you have opened a door there for a whole conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a believer in this as well. I, I believe, you know, this is, security is a vocational task. It's a vocational activity. Mm-hmm. And vocational activities can always be taught, right? You can take That's someone right. who knows nothing about security and a year later have them know a lot about security and three years later know a whole lot about security. Like you can walk anyone through that journey. But those soft skills and that getting along with others and that learning how to, you know, have have empathy and, and, and all those other foundational human aspects, those aren't so trainable. You find people That's that right. have that and you hold on to them and you teach them the security versus finding people that have security and trying to trying to pound in empathy and human skills. I personally feel like like the human skills are going to trump the, the technical skills in terms of when I'm hiring and interviewing. If, if I find good attitude, I find good aptitude, I find a drive to learn, I can teach any of those folks security, right? That's right. All right. So we're going to switch gears here one more time. This is a question I ask every guest, and this is my favorite question of them all. If you could wave a magic wand and change absolutely anything about cybersecurity, any one thing, what would you change? I would love to have hardware and software that is self-updating without breaking the applications. <laughs> oh, that would be, yeah, I love it. I love it. If I had a magic wand, I think that one would be on my list as well. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yep, because it's always like that. Well, we can't update. Why? Well, because it'll break the. Yeah, it's on Windows Seven. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And no one knows how it works, and the guy who set it up doesn't work here anymore. But we can't touch it. Yep. Oh, been there a million times. All right, and one final question I'm going to ask you that I've not asked any of my other guests. All right, you work at a vet, and I know this is because you love animals too, right? That's right. What's your favorite animal? Oh, a dog for sure. Dogs for sure. Man's best friend. All right. You like cats too, or are you kind of iffy on cats? Uh, I like cats too. I, I'm pretty open to most animals, a, a little iffy on spiders and snakes, but. <laughs> right? They need love too. <laughs> Everybody needs love. Yeah, we've got uh, two dogs and a cat over here, and, and my little one's already pressing to get another pet of some kind. And I had snakes and tarantulas when I was a kid. <laughs> so. All right. Well, listen, Sonia Hammond, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. This has been a great conversation. I appreciate your approach. I'm so grateful to hear there's CISOs out there that have a people forward mindset, a basics forward mindset, who can talk the tech stack and yet aren't distracted by the tech stack. Uh, Praise for you. I think you're doing a great job just based on what I'm hearing. Oh, thank you. So thank you. And thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. (laughs) 